This is the Ladies Edition podcast by Real Women, where we discuss the adversity and absolute foolishness that comes with women's reproductive issues. It is the mission of the Ladies Edition podcast to inspire, educate, and shine a light on and in our V Valley while empowering women everywhere. Welcome to another episode of Ladies Edition. I am your co-host, Shamika, and I am the creator, executive producer, all the things at Check the Rhymes TV and the mofochronicles.com, and I'm a freelance writer. My usual co-host, Shelly Cheyenne, is unable to join me today, so filling in her shoes is a person that joined us earlier in the season, sharing her story about her journey with endometriosis, my sister, Shalanda. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. Well, I can't wait to actually, we, we haven't done this in a minute. We did this when we were kids. So we haven't right. done this in a while. <laughs> Hopefully we, we get along and get through this. Um, in the house today, y'all, we have an amazing woman that like her story is so... I was mind blown reading this story on the Afro Bella website. So I have Patrice joining me. She is the founder creator of AfroBella.com. And Patrice, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, I want you to tell everybody because you know, you know your your resume better than I do. <laughs> tell everybody <laughs> a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, I was born in Trinidad. Um, well, Trinidad and Tobago is the country, but I was specifically born in Trinidad. I grew up there until about mm, 1998. Then I migrated to America. I came to University of Miami. I lived in Miami for many, many years, and now I live in Chicago. Um, I am a writer. I started Afrobella.com in 2006. Um, it was one of the first beauty blogs for Black women. So it's been an exciting journey to watch that world develop. Um, I've done a lot of exciting things in the blogging space. I continue to write freelance for a bunch of different uh, websites and entities, including Better Homes and Gardens and um, Food and Wine and Food and Beverage Insider. And I'm trying to think of who else I write for it right now. Um, whoever will have me. <laughs> really. I can relate. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm about to relaunch Afrobella. I also teach uh, creative writing and introduction to blogging at Emory School of Continuing Studies. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I read your blog. Now, Patrice and I connected over Twitter and I, you sent me the link to your blog about your experience with fibroids. So we're going to talk about that today. So let's just kick it off with how did you even find out that you had fibroids? Hmm. Well, let me start by saying fibroids were in my family. So I knew that my aunts, two of my mom's sisters had had fibroid procedures and let's say the mid nineties when I still lived in Trinidad. So I knew that it was something that, okay, this is a sign. This is something that happens in the family. Then I knew my sister had them. Um, for me, it didn't really add up until it was extremely obvious. So my periods were just extremely heavy for years. I had these debilitating, like curl up in a ball, can't do anything, heavy, heavy blood clot periods, like mm -hmm. really and the blood clots that it started to get worse and worse and bigger and bigger where it was just like, this is not normal, you know? Um, 
And I guess the other indicator for fibroids was, I. <laughs> this might sound very uh, shallow. I used to be able to suck in my stomach at a certain point in my life, you know, like, and kind of be like, oh, it's flat. No, that stopped, right? So, right. <laughs> oh, there's something different about my whole body. <laughs> I can't quite understand. Um, but it just didn't connect to me that this is what this is until I started to have um, incontinence issues. Mm -hmm. So I started to have issues where I had to like run to the bathroom. And if I didn't run, I was probably going to have a small accident. And I was just like, this is not right. Like coupled up all of these things, this is not right. And that's what led me to go to investigate what was going on. And I found out I had a um, eight centimeter fibroid pressing down on my bladder. Isn't that fun where you just have to like, you're literally going to the bathroom every few minutes. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, like when, yeah, the, the before and after, before I had my procedure, I was, I think I'd go to the bathroom maybe six, seven times in a night. I was not sleeping well. That's for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it was rough, you know? Um, but all of those things I didn't realize were all adding up to this is what's going on in your body and you need to take care of it. So that's what led me to, um, to seek out what procedures I needed to have done. Shalanda. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm here. Give me a second. So what made you decide to have the myomectomy? Um, <sighs> I honestly, I will say I regret having the myomectomy because it didn't work. Um, what led me to have the myomectomy? It was a whole bunch of stuff. I had a different OBGYN and she was somebody that I knew and trusted for many years. And she had told me, she's like, you have a fibroid. You're going to have to take care of it. We're going to have to do something. Okay. And then we wound up changing insurance and I didn't have her anymore. And I went to a different practice and the practice that I was at, you know, I came in with all of the information that I already had about myself. And they were like, okay, well, we're, you know, we're going to take you to have this surgery. We're going to do this surgery. I wish that we had discussed all of the other options. And I had a doctor who was very confident that she could get this out via surgical procedure and was very confident that, that the most invasive surgical procedure was the way to go because it was the quickest way to deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, then when she cut my body open, as you read in the blog post, she was unable to remove the fibroid. Um, she didn't realize, I guess, where it was connected was uh, was to my cervix. And from when I woke up um, from the surgery, I was informed that it would have required major blood transfusions and a much more involved surgery than they were prepared to do with me at the time. So they just wow. they just stitched me back up and then I had to heal from from that surgical procedure for eight weeks. Did they do I'm sure they did an ultrasound and an MRI before doing yes. surgery? Yes, they sure did. All of that. Wow. I mean, it, was, it was really it was astonishing to have gone through all of that, especially even the morning of the procedure. They look at it to see where it is mm -hmm. and then they cut you. And then she was like, oh, <laughs> I can't do this. So, yeah, that was a really devastating experience, I must say. I can imagine. I mean, I had a myomectomy. Shalanda's had a myomectomy. Mm -hmm. And it, it's interesting. Everybody's experience is different. Mm -hmm. Mine, I ended up waking up and realizing something's wrong with my leg. 
So I had nerve damage from my leg and um, walked with a cane for almost two years after that myomectomy. So I definitely regret it, but but they did at least get, I think eight fibroids out at the time. Oh my goodness. Wow. It was was still, it was a, Ooh, that myomectomy. But traumatic on your body. And I think that, I don't know, man, I'm really hoping that there will be more medical um, research and investigation done into what is going on with us why are so many of us dealing with these issues what is the deal with fibroids in in not just america in the world is it something to do with our food is it why is it happening to so many of us and why is there this push towards surgical procedures of this nature so some of the guests that we've had on the show have their perspective is interesting they seem to all think that these fibroids come from having some type of trauma in your body that you're holding on to, and then those turn and manifest into fibroids. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more like, is it microplastics in our water and food? Like, I know that's where I'm going with it, okay. in my, right? More than, um, and I do think that stress and trauma absolutely, and anxiety, which I absolutely have, I think that all of those things definitely can be a factor in, in your, um, you know, your physical and, and what happens to your body. But there's a lot of people who are dealing with stress and anxiety and, and, and difficult things that don't have fibroids, right? Mm-hmm. But it just seems to be so prevalent in black and brown women. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Right. So that's to me, like, yes, there might be generational trauma that I'm dealing with. Why did it skip my mom? Right. Right. So, I mean, because she definitely would be a person who would be dealing with that, too. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't I don't have an answer for why it happened. I just know that it's something that genetically is in my family. Some things skip a generation. Some things skip, a, you know, an individual. Um, and I just got, I just got stuck with it. So that's what happened to me. What do you think, Shalanda? Do you think it's, it's trauma-based? I I really don't know. I just know it's just, I just always thought it was driven off of your hormones and estrogen, but I, I don't know. Mine was just, of course, mixed with my endometriosis. So I have no idea how all that came about. Mm. Yeah. I can't point to a particular trauma. I mean, like I've had trauma in my life, but I can't point to like this experience shaped me towards, you know, developing this um, more so than I think there there needs to be a really holistic scientific as well as psychological study for so many of us that, that have this as well as analyzing the tissue them itself, you know, mm-hmm. like what, what's in it, what makes a fibroid. That's true. That's true. So you, you mentioned that you, you know, they, they didn't do anything. I think you on your blog, you mentioned they did remove, like, I think maybe one fibroid, but how was that recovery for you? Because knowing that you still now have this fibroid, this pressing on your bladder, but you still have to recover from that, like almost like that C-section cut, because that, that that's an intensive, like an invasive surgery. It was, it's, I mean, and I'm, I'm child-free, so I had not had a C-section or any kind of 
cut there, you know, and I, my mother, had, I was a C-section baby. So my mom used to throw it in my face all the time. So I knew, like, I knew that I was not in for a happy time. She would be like, they cut me for you whenever I was <laughs> meeting to her when I was a teenager. Um, like, so that's what I, you know, it's, it's literally the hinge of your body, right. That has to, to heal. Um, and this was in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. So I recovered right as the pandemic began. Like my first steps out of bed were in the first, like the end of February, first week of March. Wow. It was not, (laughs) like, I remember just being so happy that we were able to go out to dinner and being so uncomfortable sitting at a table, you know, and that was right before the pandemic really began. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so my life has really, I think, shifted. It shifted in a lot of ways and everybody's did. But then having the procedure in January, healing for those eight weeks, getting up and walking and having to almost, it feels like you're teaching yourself to, to move again. You guys both went through this, right? So you know what I'm talking about. Just, I didn't, I was, I felt myself physically regressing and feeling very unwilling to move. I can understand more now having had the procedure, why people can become extremely lethargic Mm-hmm. people might you know be become bed bound in some instances after certain procedures like it's a physical as well as a mental return and a, a, a spiritual endurance that it requires right mm-hmm. I had to tap into all of those things and and heal from something that I knew I wasn't even cured from and it was so frustrating I was so angry um so that was a lot of it dealing with the anger dealing with the the disappointment dealing with that feeling of but I'm not even done yet and I'm hurting this bad um so there was a lot of that and then having to figure out what came next right because I still have the problem right so I had to figure all of that out it took me a while so I had my second procedure in September okay we'll get we'll get to that one in just a second yep Shalanda did you you had a question about her uh, about the recovery, I believe. Well, just how, how was the recovery? I mean, you just kind of went over that a little bit, how it was for you, but I just wanted to kind of tap back into the mental thing, because I think like, did you just experience any depression yeah. or just like, what was that like for you? Oh, for sure. I definitely think that it triggered a lot of, um, of depression for me. And I think I was already, um, I was already there in some ways, but like, you know, cause I, I had so much fear going into the procedure itself, right. like going into it. Cause I had never had a surgery. Right. So I was like, very, at least, no, I had had a kidney stone. So I had some kind of like procedure, but not like a, I am aware of the fact that you are going to put me under and I am having surgery, like planning it out, you know? So I had been very anxious going into it. I had joined all these Facebook groups and seen what fibroids looked like and had kind of psyched myself into it. Um, so coming out of it and not having it, not having that happy story, not having that I had so many fibroids taken out of me that I would see on Facebook where people would post these <laughs> horrific pictures of, of you know, 20 fibroids that came out of their body. Ooh. I kind of wanted, <laughs> I wanted that. I wanted to know that they were gone, you yeah. know? And, um, and not having that was tough. Also, the fact that I'm not American 
and I'm a citizen, but I my family is not here. None of my none of my actual like blood family is here. My in-laws are here. So they weren't able to come and be supportive, unfortunately. You know, we spoke on video and stuff like that. But my mother-in-law came and stayed with us for I think almost a month. I'm looking at a sign right now that I never took down where it says welcome home, Patrice. She drew with balloons and stuff like that, you know, but like that was the best that we could do. It was my husband, it was her, and it was me. And them being like, okay, try to get up and walk. And me being like, no. (laughs) 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 And it was winter, so I didn't want to go outside. Yeah. It was a whole thing. It was really January was a very January 2020 was rough. February 2020 was rough. And then I was like, yay, it's March. And (laughs) so here we are, (laughs) you know, it was a tough time. And definitely there was some, there was some depression that came into play for sure. So you felt like you had to find support online versus like, did you feel like you could talk to friends or you just felt more support from people online because they've been through it? People who had been through it, people who had been through it, because I realized like a lot of, mm, how do I say this? Sometimes friends will let you down when you're really going through some stuff. Woo! A word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes your friend who is a good time friend that you enjoy going out with doesn't want to hear about your surgery mm-hmm. or what medical stuff is weighing you down. You know what I mean? And and you just kind of realize, okay, this is something that it shifts your relationships a little bit yeah. when you're not able to be on a scene. Mm-hmm. And you might realize you don't want to be on that scene anymore. Um, it was just a lot of stuff to process, you know, just levels of levels of levels of things to process. It brought me closer to my family. And in some ways, it kind of sharpened my purpose and my understanding of what my purpose is. Oh, I like that. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that... Um both Shalana and I kind of turned to online communities when we were going through our own individual journeys with um, Shalana, with her endometriosis and me with fibroids. Um, Actually, I didn't even honestly know about really online communities. I just happened to, I didn't, prior to my hysterectomy, I did not really look for a Facebook group or anything like that. I did look, come across a couple of blogs that I read and that was it. And then once I had the hysterectomy, I'm like, I have all these questions and I don't, I need answers. And so, and I was like, and I want to know, like, am I the only one experiencing this, 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 and this, and turning to this Facebook group helped answer those questions. And, um, which also kind of made me realize there needs to be a platform to answer some of these questions, which is how ladies edition came about. But, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, sometimes like you, like you said, your friends, they may not even have the capacity or the understanding to help you through it. And so they just kind of back off. And so I had to realize like, this just isn't their lane, but they show up for other stuff. So I know who I can lean on and who I can't for certain like medical stuff. Exactly. It kind of just, it just shows you. And then what I've found is now I'm the friend who had the procedure so they can talk to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Now I'm having friends who 
maybe were quiet when it was happening to me because they didn't have the bandwidth or understanding or perspective of how it was affecting me. And I, I also will say I, I turn within, right? So I'm not going to be like posting on Facebook every five minutes. I'm in pain. You know what I mean? I'm not like yeah. for people to check on me. I'm the quiet, strong friend over here. And, you know, you might not know something is wrong. Um, but at the same time, when I wrote about it, now that I put myself out there as a person who went through this, I've had people reach out to me to be like, I, hey, I was super scared. I'm going to have surgery. And then I read your post and I didn't I didn't know you went through that. And I'm going through it. Can you talk to me? You know, and I'm I'm very happy to to talk people through what we what we went through, mm-hmm. you know. Because we can show that empathy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you had a second procedure months later. So mm-hmm. how what was that procedure and how did you decide on it? So, you know, I, I'm telling you this story and I'm having such a flashback right now to January of 2020, right before I had the myomectomy. I used to go to the Zumba class. And I mentioned to the Zumba class at the end of my last class, like, I'm not going to see you guys for a while because I'm going to have this myomectomy surgery. And this woman approached me after there was a quiet time. And she's like, don't do the surgery. And I'm like, what? Whoa. (laughs) Like a woman I don't know at Zumba class tiptoes over to me and says, have the uterine fibroid embolization instead. And I'm like, what? but I'm scheduled for surgery on Monday, stranger. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) Thank you for your feedback, but this is what my doctor has told me I'm supposed to do. And she was like, I'm I'm telling you, you should do that. Okay. So I still think of her all the time when I tell this story, but it took me a while. I went to uh, Northwestern as my, um, my hospital, my medical facility. And they have a guy there who's been doing uterine fibroid embolization for, he's like the expert. I feel like he's done something like 800 procedures or something crazy like that. He's been doing it forever. Um, So I was kind of pointed in the direction of this man being the best of the best. And it turns out my original OBGYN that I mentioned who I had to switch because of insurance reasons, that's what she had wanted me to do. She wanted me to go to him and have that done. So I wound up having uterine fibroid embolization, which is uh, described as a less invasive um, procedure to deal with. Um, it's it's not a invasive surgery like the myomectomy, mm-hmm. right? But I, it was rough. It was extremely rough on me. And that in itself, I wasn't prepared for as well. So I, my doctor had mentioned, you know, cause I, I wanted to, before I decided on the hysterectomy, I wanted to know what procedures could potentially work and what, cause I had over 20 something fibroids at this point mm. and mm. we'd already tried like a, a hysteroscopy to remove the ones he could get to. And then he's like, okay, that was two. <laughs> you still have like 50, 50 11 left. And it it didn't work. So I thought, well, would this work? But then he said, it may not make much of a difference for me. So Mm -hmm. um, can you talk us through what that, because I don't know if everybody understands what that procedure involves and then like the, that recovery, because I know some people that have had it and it seems like some people's experience is different. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, very much kind of touted as 
less invasive, easier, especially if you are younger and they are encouraging you to not have a hysterectomy because they think you might want to have kids or you're trying to, you know, retain your fertility or whatever. They'll tell you this is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, I, my husband and I have decided we don't want to have kids. So we weren't concerned about that necessarily, but at the same time, because I was under 45, they did not want to remove, they didn't want to do a hysterectomy on me for a variety of reasons. I was told this by many doctors, like, you don't want to do that. I'm like, okay. (laughs) so (laughs) I guess you guys know better than I do. Um, So anyway, so I wound up uh, the uterine fibroid embolization is a procedure that They put you in what they call a twilight sleep. So you're not like fully under, you're aware that things are happening. Um, They went in, I think they can do it from the wrist or from your upper thigh groin area. And for me, that's where they went in. Um, And they just kind of go in with a small, I'm totally messing up this description. Look it up online, people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like they go into your vein. Yeah. You were <laughs> in twilight in- mode. It's okay. <laughs> I'm still in the twilight. Um, they go into the vein and they basically like put in this injectable that prevents the blood flow from reaching the fibroid. I cannot explain what it is. If it's a foam or if it's mm-hmm. a something they put in there that stops the blood flow from reaching the fibroid. And, and the intention is to to kill it, to make sure that it can't continue to feed on you, um, because that's really what it's doing. And, um, and it, it kills all of the blood flow to all of the fibroids. It's the intention that it will just basically kill them all. And yeah, so that's, that's what I did. I thought it was going to be, you know, challenging. I go in, they put me under, they put this thing in my body. I knew I had to spend the night. They were very insistent that I had to spend the night And at the time it was during the pandemic. So I did not want to do that. I was like, I don't want to sleep in a hospital. You know what I mean? I'm good. I can go home. Like to spend the night. I sure did. It was one of the roughest nights I've had physically. I just remember a woman coming. I was throwing up over and over again. And this woman came in and sponge bathed me at like 2 a.m. And she was like an angel. Like I was like, I was out of it. I was sweaty. I was nauseous. I was weak. I was just completely drained it was like my body was just fighting you know whatever whatever had happened um and then you know I went home and I think it's like two weeks recovery maybe three weeks recovery Mm -hmm. started to feel better um the the urinary problems went away pretty quickly right after that I was able to sleep through the night and not pee at all. And I was like, what? Because that hasn't happened in so long. Um, That was amazing, you know, to not have to wake up a million times at night to go to the bathroom, to not feel that internal pressure of, wait a minute, before I go anywhere, even to take out the trash, even to check the mail, I have to to pee. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like That was how it was. Um, So that went away pretty quickly. Um, but it led to other things that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. And I don't know if I would recommend it for everybody. Shalanda, did you ever consider doing UFE? I don't, I don't know if that was ever an option for you. I don't, I mean, I know you didn't have like a ton of fibroids. No, no. My issue was more of the the endometriosis more than fibroids. Mm, Okay. Did you have the, um, Patrice, did you have the, 
I've heard, well, even my doctor, he's like, it's going to be the worst cramps you've ever had in your life. <laughs> if you do the UFE or there was another, I can't think of the other procedure, but it was similar to that. But I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I'll tell you, and I have, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a, an article about this. That is not for me. It's for a website that I can't even talk about yet. Okay. But the article that I'm writing is fibroids kicked me into menopause. And that is what happened to me after having yeah. this procedure. Mm. Um, I came out and I, you know, I more or less recovered. I had one period that was awful. Like what you said, the worst cramps ever. Like it was a really heavy, awful last, this is what your body is going through period. And I thought, okay, it's going to get easier, but then it just never came back. That was it. I had one last period and it was like, peace out. <laughs> like, so that was pretty surprising mm -hmm. um, considering that we did all of this to avoid the hysterectomy and to avoid, I guess, menopause to have it just lead straight. There was kind of like, Oh, um, <laughs> so that's been a whole new thing to figure out. Wow. Wow. I, I don't even, I'm like, I, that, I wasn't expecting that twist in the story. I know, like, I, yeah. haven't, I know, I haven't written about it anywhere. I haven't talked to anybody, I mean, other than my friends, but what happened is I just, I stopped getting my period. I started getting other symptoms instead. And I couldn't understand what was going on to my body. I wound up going to an, an OBGYN who she is I think on the newer side so she was like let's just do tests and we did tests after we did 12 pages of tests basically oh yeah it was insane and I wound up getting charged out of pocket for it which is why I can say it was 12 pages so <laughs> um, <laughs> but long story short when you are in menopause there is blood work they can do to confirm if you are in menopause or not there's something called FSH I think it's called follicle stimulating hormone is what I want to say it's called again look it up people I'm sorry I right. wrong. but um when they saw that that was the level that it was at they were like yeah you're menopausal like okay thank you thanks for letting me know that's why I'm so sweaty at night that's why I'm going through all these emotions oh okay <laughs> so yeah it's um I'm I'm not in menopause. Shalanda, you've had some experience with some of those symptoms, right? Right. Um, so for me, I can't remember how old I was now at this point. I guess I was in my, I think, I don't know, I was 31, 32 when I had a hysterectomy. Wow. Um, but I had to beg for it. I don't have kids either, but yeah. I had to beg and had already been through, I think, three surgeries in the myomectomy, three laparoscopic surgeries. Wow. And I'm like, please take it. Like, I'm tired of this. Like, my quality of life is suffering. Let this go. Yep. I, I'm cool with no kids. Like, it's let's fine. be done. You'll be right. the auntie ever. It's okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um, I've, I've had my levels checked and I get so many conflicting things with it. I don't have the night sweats, but I've been on different medications with fighting endometriosis that put me in menopause. So mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about with your symptoms, but, um, I don't know if you're currently doing this, but I did take, um, a couple different natural medications to kind of combat it because yeah. I, I don't want to be injected or take 
no. of daily medication at all. And I think they really the the there's a there's a pharmaceutical industry, right? So they are pushing right. towards getting some kind of new prescription to do something. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So this is the other thing I've never really written about or talked about. My mother, I found out, started menopause early after I told my dad, I was like, I'm in menopause. He's like, Yeah, your mom started around 43. I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Oh, like <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that she started menopause early but she didn't want to have the symptoms so she started using the patch and uh, the hormone replacement patch my mother used the hormone replacement patch for like 30 years like way wow. way longer than you're supposed to and knowing that and the fear of the effects of that I don't want to do any of that stuff. I don't need to yeah. replace the hormones that I have lost. Let's figure out something else. So right now my um, general practitioner put me on black cohosh and I'm at, I just added a vitamin D supplement. Yeah. But please tell me what else you're taking because I'm wait, I'm on, I'm trying to get in to see a new gynecologist because I need to know what else is there for menopause. And they almost seem like they don't want to encourage me to try natural things. And I think that's important that you, you're bringing this up is I don't think gynecologists are going to tell you just because just, I don't know if it's their contracts with their jobs, mm. but I think it's important to go to more of a holistic doctor yeah. to tell you. Yeah. Um, like acupuncture or something. I'm like, mm -hmm. is that what I to try? Right. Um, but I don't know if Shamika has your email or something, but I'll be more than happy to, to yes. email you and send you the list of what I take. Please, I would love that. I'm, I definitely, I think you do have my email. Should make us all. I mean, I'll make, yeah. So I'll make sure you get it. But yeah, I started the black cohosh. I mean, it's it hasn't been that long. I'll admit it's been less than uh, two weeks for me with that. So I cannot say that I'm seeing a huge life shifting difference. Mm -hmm. Some nights are good where I can sleep through the night. Some nights I'm up at two in the morning just staring at Twitter, like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly what um what is happening to my body what are all of the changes that I'm going through because it is literally the change mm -hmm. and I can I can feel all of those things so yeah that's where I'm at with it right now one of the guests that we had a few episodes ago um she's the menopause doctor um, oh. we, we found her on TikTok actually <laughs> she came to the table with like she that's she's kind of holistic she's a holistic mm -hmm. doctor and um I'm I'm happy to get her info to pass along to you um as well because she I mean some of the even with perimenopause as she's like checking off all the things I'm like I have dry eyes I have this I have I'm like wait perimenopause you know and and she talks a lot about the different um natural remedies that that you can take because she's like she she will write a prescription but she prefers to try the natural route first right. literally you just said dry eyes and i was like wait that's what's happening to <laughs> i'm like everything is dry over here yes yes exactly <laughs> especially at night and i'm just like why and what have been a couple of years ago i had done a sponsored post with my eye doctor and it was before i turned it must have been three years ago it was before i turned 40 and the eye ophthalmologist or whoever was doing the test he's like i want to see you your eye your vision is perfect right now but i want to see you when you're like 43 or 45 because it goes down so dramatically once you pass 40 your your quality of vision your sharpness of vision 
your eye health in general? And I was like, no, I'm good. And he's so, I think about him all the time because I'm like, at night, I'm like holding my phone all far away. If I have to read a label, I have, I'm like, this is new to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, there's so many different ways that our bodies change as we get older so staying on exactly what you guys are saying i think what i need is a regular doctor and also a more holistic all natural doctor who can give advice on foods and different things to try cuz i'm all like reading eat, eating well and cooking light and trying mediterranean diets and stuff but i need like specific information for us you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. right so you mentioned that obviously you do have some regrets but um, is there a procedure that you wish you would have tried instead? Mm, I wish I had had them. And well, I wish I had had the uterine fibroid embolization first. Mm-hmm. As crazy as it is, as my, and I know that I said it through me into menopause and all of these things I didn't expect. It would not have been as invasive and debilitating and long lasting of a recovery as it was to have the myomectomy, the feeling of disappointment, the depression that came after that failure, all of that, I think it would have, it would have changed everything. Um, And maybe I would have seen effects a little bit earlier. Maybe I would have been back on my feet a little bit earlier. And, you know, if it, it had the other effects, then I would have been able to deal with it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, in, in that sense, I wish I had done it in reverse i wish that maybe i had done a little bit more because there was so many other i had written articles i wrote a whole piece for o magazine years ago about all of the different things you can do for fibroids there's heat treatments and and lasers and you know all kinds of new innovative things that they're doing in all of these hospitals all around the country Mm -hmm. but if you have certain fibroids of a certain size they are not going to work for you Right. right. So they'll tell you, this is too big. We can't do this. So that was what happened to me. There was, I had limited options. I was actually told that my fibroid was too big to be affected by uterine fibroid embolization, which is why they said you need to have a myomectomy because you have this big ass fibroid. So I don't know. I wish that I had listened to that lady in my Zumba class and canceled that <laughs> procedure and tried the other thing first because it may have made a difference for me. What I want to say also while we're on this topic, have you guys been seeing this ad on TV for a fibroid pill? No, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's something called, I don't know. And I don't want to, you know, say the wrong thing here, but it's a pill that is, is, you know, a major pharmaceutical brand has this thing out as it's for heavy bleeding. But when you listen to the list of side effects, it is to Oh, you just cut out. Are you there, Shalanda? I don't know. Okay, great. That was weird. It kicked me out and <laughs> Yeah, we were like, um where'd she go? I don't know. I just wanted to make one last point because I know we're about to wrap things up, right? We already went past time. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. A no, little no, bit. no, it's fine. What I encountered was so much um, snake oil and people trying to sell you stuff and speak from this place of knowledge that they didn't even have and tell you to make these dramatic changes that don't necessarily show medical signs of actually working. 
Um, so I got a lot of that and it was kind of frustrating. And it was something that I encountered again when, um, when my father-in-law wound up having cancer, we wound up seeing that people like to come out of the woodworks and tell you to try some mysterious oil or some special something that it's like, you actually need to, to listen to a doctor about what you're going through. In addition to the thing they might be telling you is a possibility, but there's a lot of people out there trying to sell you hopes and dreams in a jar. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a weird thing to go through when you're feeling vulnerable and, and going through something medical. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, and I, th- I think that's a great segue for the last question. If you have any other advice for women that are trying to figure out which procedure is best for me um, or what should I do? You know, a lot of women are, are they're, they're scared. They, yeah. they do feel alone and they're like, you know, this doctor is telling me this mm-hmm. and online is telling me this. I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's scary. It is. It's a big thing. And it's your body. You only get one. Right. So we have to take the best care of it that we can. Um, I do think joining the Facebook group is a good move. Um, Finding those online pockets of community that are speaking very honestly about it and not trying to sell you things and not some MLM scheme for, you know, herbs or whatever, like just joining something that is actually talking about the procedures that people are having and the different things that are helping them is good a safe place to vent because nobody's going to understand it better than another woman who's going through it and even up to the morning of the procedure looking at facebook and and telling that group okay i'm going in and knowing all, all these women are like i'm praying for you i'm with you I've, i i did mine yesterday you're going to be all right mm-hmm. that is huge that's huge yes. there's nothing else that can replace that and there's a lot of us who went through it without that that crutch and without that support group before the internet Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to recognize we're in a space where we can share information, we can help each other, we can lift each other up. Um, I will say also, it's, as I said, it's your one body, you only get one, it's your temple. Go get other opinions, get multiple opinions, listen to as many people as you can, read as much as you can. And don't just say, oh, this person knows better than me. You have to really pray on it and sit with it and know that you're making the right decision for you. And even if you do all of that, something can happen and it may not go the way you want it to go. And you have to find a way to make peace with that too. So that's my advice. And that's great advice. I I always say advocate for yourself. You know your body and and you know, like if you want to have kids, then explore every single option before you make the decision. Exactly. you know, like I, and I've said before in previous shows, what made my decision for the hysterectomy a little easier was my, and I kept my ovaries. So my doctor said, if you want to go retrieve those eggs, you can, I'm mm-hmm. not doing it, but that option was there. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is something that's so like, it makes you look at your life and ask yourself tough questions and, and it might make you confront things that you didn't think you had to deal with yet. So there's a, just be really gentle with yourself in the whole process. Absolutely. Well, let everybody know where they can find you online and on social media. Absolutely. So I am um, at Afrobella on most, most platforms. So just A-F-R-O-B-E-L-L-A 
on Instagram that I'd never post on, but I'm there um, on Twitter. <laughs> you can most likely find me on Twitter. And then it's facebook.com slash Afrabella blog is the actual page for the site. And then I'm, I'm relaunching. I'm starting to write again. I felt the, the urge to return to my own platform. So Afrabella.com is still, is still a thing and we're coming back. That's good news. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today. This has been such an amazing story. It's like, we've been on a a roller coaster through your journey with you. Like, you know, there's all the kinds of twists and turns, but I'm so glad that you are, you came out on the other side, you're doing well. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll make sure we send you some of the resources that can hopefully help you through um, what you're going through right now. So, um, and please come back and and chat with us again and um, let us know how you're doing. I would love to. And I just want to say thank you for having me. Sorry to cut you off. I just want to say thanks for having me on this platform and for having this platform because it's important. Absolutely. And Shalanda, thank you for co-hosting with me today. We got along. Yay. Yeah, it was was a new experience. But Patrice, thanks for sharing your story. It was great to hear and being able to relate. So appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for being, you guys are just, a, it's a good, honest space that you've created and it's really necessary. So thank you for both being there and for having me. And for everybody out there listening, make sure you find the ladies edition on Facebook and you, y'all know Shelly is the one that's always plugging it. So I don't really know the Facebook link. Just, <laughs> I think it's ladies edition podcast. I mean, she handles the social, but you can find me at Mofo Chronicles or check the rhymes TV. So yeah, until next time, we have one more episode left in this season, and then we're taking a little bit of a break. But let us know what topics you want to hear moving forward. Um, drop us a note, whether it's on one of my platforms, Shelly's or the Ladies Edition. So until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Edition. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast and tune in next time for more riveting conversation. Thank you.